Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 3-31-2021, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time we have together. We thank you for the focus that we have, uh, the, you know, the interest, the humility that comes to this study, where we're able to think about scriptures and delve into those things which are of great interest to us in your word. We thank you for those who are here. We thank you for uh, the wisdom that uh, you're allowing us to, to think about. And we pray that we will continue to focus our attention uh, even more in this new year. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, we are studying in the book of Romans, as you know. Um, we're in the middle of uh, Romans 9, uh, verses 5, I believe. And uh, we, we got some work to do. We have some notes. I didn't send any new notes. We still have ones from last week we did not finish. Um but we will get to, well, I don't know if we'll get to 9, 6 today, but uh, 4 and 5 says, uh, says the people of Israel, theirs is the adoption to sonship, theirs is theirs, uh, the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God overall, forever praised. Amen. We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll pause for a moment to see if there are any questions on the table that we could answer. Uh, the floor is open. So I, had, I had a thought. It could be a question. Sure, go right ahead, Bill. So when we think about the aim, want to say something? No, I said go right ahead, Bill. Well, think about the angels and the fact that they were here prior to what we call creation, right? That's right. Um, prior to time. When you say prior to creation, what do you mean exactly? Well, we think of creation, first book of Genesis, God's spirit hovered over the deep, and well, the restoration we call that. Okay. All right. I'm with you. And, and and that's where we say time began, right? With creation, yes. And not with restoration, but with creation. Not with restoration. Right. Okay. So, when we think of time, we think of time prior to man. Yeah, time actually predates man, I would, we would have to say. Yeah. Oh, I didn't mean that. <laughs> I was, I was quickly, but uh, <laughs> no, I, I was, I was, I was thinking that uh, time. When, when we, you know, when we think about time, we think about the restoration, and that's when the clock started. Yeah, no, I would say no. The cr clock started at creation. Uh, if you look at Ephesians one four, 
it says, for he chose us in him before uh, creation, right? Or if you go to uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 7, talks about that this wisdom that was destined for our glory before time began. So there is a period that time uh, began, uh, we could say, and, and the logical way we can see that time began is with creation. Uh, before that, we could just say there was e eternity. I know we talk about eternity past because um, that's the thought of what are you know we're we're looking at eternity from a linear point of view. We're looking at eternity from a time perspective. So that's why we say eternity past because that to us makes sense. Um, but God views you know eternity he doesn't view eternity from us from the perspective of time he sees time as linear like a line right things happen in succession right but god lives in eternity he created time when he created the universe so yeah um that's how how i see it other thoughts so, um, so when you say creation, um, and as Bill talked about angels, uh, angels certainly are, are, are angels part of, I mean, angels are created. I mean, are angels part of creation when you talk about creation? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And time. Mm-hmm. All things, when we say creation, we're saying all things, whether, whether it be thrones, powers, dominions, principalities, and that includes angels, right? Whether they're, uh, or dominions, whether they're, you know, all things, there was not one thing made. So when we think about creation, we're talking about everything that there is, whether we can see it or not, is a part of creation. We don't have a timeline for angels and when they God created them, and so from when when we say eternity past, are we including? Does that phrase include angels? No, because when we say eternity past, we're saying that that is before creation. So when creation happened. Uh, then God created things or other beings. So all of that is included. So like when you see John 1.1, 1, 1, for example. So he says, in the beginning was the word, the word was, and the, uh, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So as far as we're, we're concerned, John 1, 1 and 1, 2, he was in the beginning with God. So that beginning that it's referring to there is really not a beginning because the word was. You can't say there was a beginning and you can't say something was. And it's interesting that there is no definite article in front of beginning here, which means uh, there really, it's not a beginning, it's 
a beginning, meaning he's going to share some information with us, but it's not really a beginning. So then verse 3 talks about through him, through the word, all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. So when you think about whether it's life, whether it's uh, inanimate objects, whether it's uh, power, structures that have been created, authority, structures, um, everything had to have a beginning. And the beginning is what the Word has done. So it's not like the angels were created from eternity past and then he decided to create man. Uh, we just say man came after whatever uh, happened with angels. The universe was already created. Like it says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? So that's we don't know what happened uh, between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. We don't know. It says, but the earth... Was, vo- was was without form and void. That's Genesis 1-2. Uh, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Uh, I could read it. Yeah, now the earth was formless and empty. Now, God didn't create it that way. And it, where darkness was on the surface of the deep and, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. So we're, we're catching up to it. This is why we we understand there's a gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. So, that's how we see it. I see it that way. So, the beginning uh, that you're talking about in John Mm 1-1 is certainly not a beginning for God. It's just uh, entrance into our understanding uh, is, is basically what this is saying. It's not a beginning for God. Yeah, uh, it's just, if you think about what happened in John, he has no beginning. Well, we could we he can make no. the statement that he hasn't uh, doesn't have a beginning. That's absolutely true, and we get that from Scripture. For instance, if you look at John one one, it it says in the beginning uh, was was the word. Okay, so how can something, if anything, you would say, if the, if the Word had a beginning, or God had a beginning, it should say, in the beginning, God became, began, or something. You know, It shouldn't say the Word was. Was is a word that we say is past tense. How can God already have been if it's a beginning? So what we come to learn in John 1, 1 through 3. He's not talking about uh, the beginning of God. He's talking about the beginning of creation. So, when it comes to the beginning of God, you could say God was. At this point in time, God was. He was already there. And he would have had to be there if he was going to do all this creating. So... So John 1, 1 through 3, the subject is about creation. It is not about uh, when did God begin, because the focus is on creation, not 
and and if we, and when there is reference to God, it says or the Word. It says that the Word was, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So God and the Word was. Right? That's past tense. So they predate creation, and obviously, logically, they would have to, because they couldn't create anything if they weren't there. If they were created, then we would have had, because it says there was not one thing made that has been made. Well, if they were created beings, who created them? How'd they get there? And we could talk about it, but none of this would make sense if we didn't believe in an eternal God. We couldn't. So we can go to Hebrews and it says, uh, we believe this. This is by faith that we understand these things. Hebrews says, Hebrews 11 is, is the example. Um, it says, um, I think it's verse 6. Uh, where is it? No, it's verse 3. By faith, we understand. So here, because faith is not just, I believe it, but God teaches us about things that we could have no way of of coming to the knowledge of. So by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So here's how, when it says in the beginning God uh, was the word, word was with God, word was God, and, and it says all things were made by him. How did that happen? We got more commentary here. It was formed at God's command so that what has seen is not was not made out of what was visible. So God had uh, did not have existing material when he made the universe. So that the Latin term for that is God created it ex nihilo. This is something we learn in theology, which means it, he he did not use existing material. For us, if we have to make something, we have to have resources. Like if Bill is going to build something, he's got to go to Home Depot or Lowe's or somewhere to get the material. Can't just say, well, you want that done? Okay, let's just make it happen. It can't happen without resources. God did not need existing material. but It was just his command. He says, universe be and universe became. It was, we could say. God did it through divine fiat he just decided that we're going to create the universe and this is how i will command universe to come into existence and but now he didn't just say universe be and universe was god had a plan in all of this for him to create the universe we got to think about well why did he create the universe how by what design? Like, what did he want? What was the goal? I mean, we could we got a lot of questions we could ask about it. God already thought about all of that, and when he decided to go forward with that plan, boom! Here was the it was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. We can't verify that. We can't explain that scientifically. We don't have evidence of that, but we have faith. 
Faith is the substance of, of what God has told us. Because there's no way we can understand or comprehend those things uh, through science, through uh, experimenting, you know, examining things. There's nothing that we can use in our toolbox to examine creation. It's beyond us. We can, we can study it, but we can't talk about its origins like we have some sort of knowledge about it. We don't. God is the one who tells us this information. I'll pause. All right. Sounds like it's quiet. Yeah, I just, I just had a thought, but we could... Oh, go ahead, Joy. Sure, go right ahead. Uh, not, not a question, but yeah, but just based on um, some sermons I was listening to online and knowing our discussions here and, and what we've been doing for uh, many, many years, is this uh, I have such an appreciation for the distinction that we make and the detail that we go into. Uh, sometimes it might look like Oh, look at the size of the notes. We're going to be spending all this time on one verse. Yeah. Um, but really, that knowledge is goes against what um, what the world believes. So it's really important that we understand what those distinctions are and what they imply. I certainly agree. We we should take our time with the Word of God. Shouldn't rush through it. There's a lot there. <laughs> a lot that we need to comprehend and understand. And so understanding things by faith is not like a wish list of things that we want. It is literally uh, being able to take the word of God, grapple with it, come to the understanding of it through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, obviously. It is not uh, our own means that we investigate these things. And through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, as we grapple with what God says, then we trust it. We say, and we build on that. We say God created the universe, then we don't believe in evolution. That things just evolved over time. Well, that's not an answer to anything. Where did these things come from? How did they evolve over time? We don't have evidence of any of that. But yet, it's a theory that man chooses to believe rather than believe what God says. So the fact that we can sit here and think about these things and talk about them intelligently, we're not just some form of life that is just innocuous or um, some one or two-celled amoeba or something. <laughs> How did we get to the place where we could sit here and talk about these things intelligently? Animals aren't sitting around doing this. They, I mean, they, they operate by instinct, by nature. Their nature. We are able to talk about a whole slew of things. Whatever we want. Whatever we want to turn our attention to, we can talk about. We can explore. And this is, this is amazing that we have such capabilities within our species. And 
we are said to be created in the image of God. And I believe that when this whole thing is done, which is what we're calling human history, because angelic history is terminated, not terminated, but it comes to a close after human history. So when all this is said and done, this still speaks to who we are and what we will be in the eternal state when time is no more. And time will be no more. We, even though we're creatures of time, there will be, we will be out of time. <laughs> I'm playing around with the words here. But we will not, time will be no more. And uh, that will be an interesting time. We won't just be um, in some sort of uh, melancholy state. I think we will still be able to have the air of wonder and exploration and uh, all of those things that qualities that I find fascinating in the human race. Now, we will still, to a greater degree, find fascinating in eternity. I think we will continue to, to have that wonder and excitement for what's ahead. So, um, you know, to your point, the discussion of such things is vital. I think that is why we're here, to allow the Word of God to, um, to make us mature. I think that is the point. Exactly what, what we're pursuing is, is what God wants us to do. So, other thoughts before we head in, into Romans? I'm good, thank you. All right, so we'll we'll thank you all for the questions and thoughts. Right, so let's head into Romans. Romans chapter nine is where we are. You should have notes from last week uh, on three twenty-four. So we were dealing. Now you might say, "What is this all about?" You know, uh, this is about Israel. <laughs> we I don't have to tell you that because. That's what we've been talking about for the last two, three weeks. Because, and you, you could ask the question. You should be asking yourself the question. Why are we talking about Israel? Why? How come we're here? Why is this our subject? Uh, some people may read through this so fast, they may not get to, <laughs> to ask themselves those questions. Why are we having this discussion about Israel? especially when we went through Romans 8 and we went through who is he that condemns? Who will make a judgment? Who will have some problem with this? With us who are foreknown and predestined and called and justified and glorified. Who's going to have problems with this? And now we're immersed in talking about Israel. I hope you're putting the dots together and understanding what Paul's point is by uh, the discourse that is ahead of us. I hope so. Because Paul is giving uh, an apologetic answer to things that he knows are on the mind of those who 
are Jews. He knows what they're thinking, and therefore he is giving an answer for why God has made a change. And he has made a change. This is not a natural progression of things. If you look from the Old Testament, this is not a natural progression of where we think uh, God thinks that we should be. In fact, the disciples didn't have a clue when it came to that. Even though they, even though God gave them information, when I say God, I mean through the Lord Jesus Christ, and the discourse that we happen to be in in the book of John on Sundays. Yeah, he gave them some heads up. He laid some foundation work about the dynamics of the spiritual life. But when they came up in Acts here and came to Jesus and said, and I'll read it. This is all. We'll get to the notes in a minute. Acts chapter 1. So they asked this question, which to me, very smart. Very smart question. Let's see what it says here in Acts chapter 1. They gathered around him. And this is after he says this in chapter in the previous verses. So let's let's look at it on Acts one four. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command: Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John, he he reiterates the promise now. For John baptized with water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So, you know, there was that, and he breathed on them the Holy Spirit in John chapter 20. Some people say, well, that was the baptism of spirit given early to the disciples. Well, how can that be when we have this verse? <laughs> we can't, it can't be. It didn't. That wasn't what it was. Pentecost is when the baptism of the Spirit uh, came, not before. So, after that, they verse 6, then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So, what a question. You have to think about that. The disciples were on target here. This was the appropriate question to ask. Why not? It was such an important question that Jesus deferred it. He didn't have time to get into it. Why? Because he's getting ready to leave them. <laughs> this is the ascension here. So he didn't have time to answer it. But he says, you know what? When the Spirit comes, you're going you're gonna to be my witnesses in all of these places, you, you're going to be able to answer these questions. Because the mystery, things that have been hidden about how Israel and the church uh, would coexist or how God would make a directional change to the church from Israel and then back to Israel again, all that would be would need to be explained. It was not somewhere in the Old Testament that Jesus could have pointed to and said, yeah, well, in Jeremiah, it says this, and this is how I can answer your question. Or in Ezekiel or Isaiah or somewhere. No, it wasn't there. They would have to wait 
until the God, the Holy Spirit came, and then they would be more equipped to understand this new dispensational change. Simple as that. What a question. It's, it is the right question. I'm glad they asked the question because it helps me understand where they were and what was at stake. And these Jews who, re, who, who object to the church have the same question. So even if you got Jews that don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God, they don't believe that. So obviously, their intent on keeping the Mosaic Law, continuing things as they were, of course they are, because they don't believe that Jesus is the Christ. But then you got Jews who believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God. They do believe that, but they just will not believe that this whole thing about the mystery and Pentecost and the Holy Spirit coming and changing the change and dispensation and now it's the church. They just won't believe the Gentiles and Jews are one body, that God has a new plan and Israel's on hold until right, um, until after the rapture. They just will not believe that. And so, we're going to have, uh, when we're, I'm going back to Romans now, so we're going to have some problems, especially as it relates to this change, this important change that you need to make. Suppose you miss this turn. <laughs> You've missed something big. You didn't just miss a small turn that you can correct later. You know, you got to catch this turn right here. If you miss it, then you're, you're going in the wrong, wrong direction. And you need to go back and come back to this place where you missed it, correct it, so that you can now be on the right path. It's a big deal. This deal is so big, it, it occupies a lot of scripture. And for us to be in Romans and not understand that, we have made a gross error. So, back to my notes. And why are we talking about Israel? <laughs> you should know why we're talking about Israel. Because they object to it. They object. We won't get to Romans 9, 6 tonight. But if we did, it says, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Okay, so we're getting ready to get into it. So, but, but, but we still have some things to cover in the previous. But just know, I don't think the word of God has failed. You don't think the word of God has failed, do you? I don't think the Apostle Paul thinks the word of God has failed. Who then thinks the word of God has failed? We'll answer those questions. When we get to 9-6. So, we'll, we'll go back to our notes, okay? Because we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. So, back to our notes. Where are we in our notes? We just finished talking about the covenants. So, uh, point C in our notes. Many of the words 
establishing Israel are used to establish the church. Adoption to sonship, we talked about that from the standpoint of Exodus, and we showed, and Hosea, and also um, we showed what our adoption is in Romans 8. There's, we can also pick up other scriptures like Ephesians 1, 4, 5, 1, 1, 5 talks about where, you know, the adoption for the church. And then we talked about the divine glory and how the Shekinah glory was manifested between the cherubim and, you know, how God had manifested as fire, pillars of fire and smoke and earthquakes and and all these things that he revealed himself or how he revealed himself to Israel. God, it was glorious, let's just say. And then the covenants. We talked about there were many covenants. We gave some evidence of what God promised Abraham, reiterated the promise to Isaac and to Jacob. We, we discussed how uh, the first covenant was temporary. Israel did not want to see the end of the first covenant. They didn't want to see it. If we studied uh, 2 Corinthians 3, he talks about that whole point. Israel did not refuse. Every time the law of Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. Why? Because they don't want to see to the end. They want to continue with the veil. How Moses had to put a veil over his face because, uh, you know, the glory was dissipating. And the first covenant was supposed to be temporary. It was never supposed to be permanent. It, it was, you know, replete with animal sacrifices, which never could take away sins. Israel, for some reason, wants to perpetuate the first covenant. They don't want to give up the first covenant, which... God is saying, logically speaking, it, it, there has to be a Christ to come and to fulfill all the promises and the shadows and types that are there in the first covenant. I like what God said in Romans, or Paul, God said through the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3, verse 25. He says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, a propitiation, through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Verse 26, he, he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, rather. So verses 25 and 26, God shows that through Jesus and his blood or his death, it covers the sins of those uh, who, who committed those sins in the Old Testament. They were left unpunished. Now you said, wait, wait a minute. Weren't, weren't animals punished for those sins? Yeah, but animals can't take away sins. Blood of bulls and goats can't take away sins. It's only through the blood of Christ. Or here, metaphorically speaking, the blood of Christ. That's how sins are remitted. Not through animal sacrifices. So when we think about 
that scripture, how it, it is clear that there is, there, there must, it logically, spiritual logical, spiritually logically speaking, the first covenant needed to have somebody come and to rectify those things. And sure enough, we have that through the person of Christ. Israel still rejects that. They still don't believe. Unbelieving Israel, that is. They still don't believe that Jesus came and did what he did to um, rectify, to validate the, the old covenant. So that's where we are. So we, we've talked about the covenants. Then, verse 4. <laughs> verse 4. Point number 4. The receiving of the law. So, well... This is huge. And Exodus 20, I have as a scripture, verses 1 through 17. Uh, I want to go to Exodus 20, just real quick. We have a little time. Let's deal with it. Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words. Now, if you really want to read some and have some fun, if you don't have anything else to do, go to Exodus chapter 19, where you can read all that God had Israel do in order to receive those words. And God spoke these words, right? So you could read all that he told them they had to do in the camp. And, you know, how to don't go up to the mountain because if you do, you will, be, you will die. Don't let your animals go up to the mountain. Uh, all kinds of stuff was happening. And uh, we get to, in 19, if you have some time, take some time to read all that God had told Israel to do. And how, why? Because God's word is important. And, and it says in verse 21, and God spoke all these words. So prior to that, you get a chance to see the context in which he spoke these words. And how the Israelites were to receive them. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You, and here, here it is, the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Who's he talking to? The world or Israel? Who's he, who, is the, he, who are the recipients of these words? Who do they apply to? Well, first of all, God is the only true God overall, right? There is no other God. But do all the other nations think so? No, they don't. Who's God dealing with here? Israel. He's the one that brought them out of Egypt. He's the one. And he's telling them, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. All that was going on in other nations. That's what they were doing. You should not bow down to them nor or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents of the third to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Remember to Sabbath. And I'm probably you know, skipping one. You shall not misuse 
misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And then there's the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it by keeping it holy. That's how you remember it. But anyway, who does he speak these words to? Israel. Israel. The land, the ones who he brought out of Egypt, uh, out of the land of slavery. He's talking to Israel. Yeah, he gave them the law. Israel. And Paul is saying here, theirs is the adoption, right? To sonship. Theirs is the divine glory. Theirs is the covenant. Theirs is the receiving of the law. And you are seeing that, you know, before we we dismiss Exodus chapter 21 through 17, what we should recognize is that that wasn't it. God continued to give many more laws that were not only the Ten Commandments. There was a whole lot of laws that they were uh, in a book and they were on the side of the Ark of the Covenant, not inside. Only law that was inside the Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments. But there was a book of the law that contained all kinds of ordinances and commandments and statutes and on and on that Israel functioned as a nation under all of those injunctions and laws and commands. So just by me citing Exodus 21 through 17, <laughs> I mean, there was so much about how, how the military would function, how, uh, you know, if somebody was sick, what they needed to do, quarantine laws, all kinds of, you can't, there is not, everything was covered. Marriage, divorce, you, you name it. Everything was covered under what we call the Mosaic Law. Because we're not just dealing with people who came out of slavery. We're dealing with them being a nation before God among other nations. So everything needed to be covered. Right? Social laws, civil laws, uh, the military, how, how the military function. Right? We have the book of numbers. So there was so much about dietary restrictions. I mean, you, it goes on and covers every aspect of the life of an Israelite. So that's, when we say law, there's much more than the Ten Commandments that Israel was under. Right, the Sabbath was there, but it didn't say anything about what would happen if you broke the Sabbath. Well, in that book, on the side of the ark, it said what you, you needed to be aware of if someone broke the Sabbath. What were you to do? You were to stone that person. It talks about you have robbed me in Malachi. So, so in Israel, they had two things. They had the law and they had the prophets. The law is the first five books of Moses. The prophets dealt with all of the instruction that God gave to Israel through certain prophets. So anyway, there it is. There you have it. The receiving of the law Paul is dealing with. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 3, 7 through 9, 
I'll get to it. Second Corinthians three, seven through nine. So it says, why is my Bible, my computer frozen? This is, okay, here. Second Corinthians three, seven. Now, if the ministry that brought death, oop, Esau just closed. <laughs> Stand by. If the ministry that brought death, I'm opening Esau again. Wow, it crashed on me. Now, now that's not, that never happened with a paper Bible that Esword crashed. That's interesting. Oh, it crashed literally. So I'm going to ask the white to read Second Corinthians. Oh, it's coming back. Feel like I'm wasting our time but you know what this is technology and since we have adopted it now uh, we have to live with it well the the analog the analog equivalent would be dropping the bible on the floor <laughs> okay so since mine is still have this uh, uh oh it's i keep saying that and it's slowly opening i just you said it's clearly chapter two verse nine right wait are you driving you can't read no, I'm home. I'm home now. Oh, okay. So read 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 9, please. All right, 7 through 9. Verse 7 says, Now, the ministry that brought death, which were engraved in letters or stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of his glory. Transitory that, though it was, were not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious. Verse 9, the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious. How much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Go ahead to 10, please. For what was glorious has no glory, now in comparison with the surpassing glory. Okay, so notice that if you are not sure about the Mosaic Law coming with glory... Thank you, Dave. And my, my Bible has come back. Thank God. If you're not sure that it came with glory, well, this is what Paul is telling us here, that it, the law, all that came with glory. And we, I was just trying to paint the picture a little bit about that because now he is telling us that what we have under the ministry of the Spirit, what happened at Pentecost, is even more glorious. And in fact, it's saying in verse 10, for what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And he's talking about the ministry that brought condemnation, the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone. This is the Ten Commandments. This is what Moses received in the mount. But not only the Ten Commandments, but the whole shebang, everything that Moses received on the mountain. Uh, and all of is what Israel had, the law and the prophets. All of it is now passe. It is over. It's done. We are not under the law. So anyway, I read that Second Corinthians. And it contrasts what they receive with what we now have. And it speaks of it from if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious. Well, how much more is this ministry? glorious that brings righteousness and and then 
the other one as well. So, you know, about, about verse 10, it has no glory now in comparison to the surpassing glory. What we have should not even be compared with what they have. We have something far more glorious. So, uh, back to our notes, yeah, the receiving of the law, Israel, it was glorious, for sure. First, uh, point number five in our notes, C5, the temple worship and the promises. So the miraculous sanctuary service, when we talk about the temple worship, when we, and people painstakingly took time to read about how God had to build the sanctuary, how they had to put all the gold and resources and get all that. And then he, he blessed, uh, you know, he put the spirit upon certain ones that gave them skill in order to create this and build this temple out of the resources that they brought. And then um, to understand the priests, you know, and their function and, and how there was a outer court and then <clears throat> and there was the inner court and there was the holy place and then uh, there was a curtain and then there was the most holy place and and how all of those things functioned and what was in each what kind of furniture was in each part all of that was laid out in scripture in the old testament People learn about it today as though this is something that we need to be concerned about when it tells you in 2 Corinthians that what we have is surpassing in all of that. So the temple worship and the promises, it was something. It was all we had when there was no church and it was glorious. But compared to what we have now, it is not. There is no glory at all in all of that and learning. And it's good to know it. I would say we should learn it. We should understand it. But man, what we have now surpasses it. This is the miraculous sanctuary services with the Levitical priesthood and sacrifices uh, and numerous promises to the people, right? And I've given you one scripture to deal with these promises. And this is Jeremiah. If you don't know any other promises then you should know this one. Uh, Jeremiah, I'm going to turn to it. I'm going to read it. Uh, 31, 35 through 37. So let's look at Jeremiah 31, 35 through 37. This is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord Almighty, Almighty is his name. Now get this, only if these decrees vanish from my sight, decrees the Lord, declares the Lord, will Israel ever cease being a nation before me. Now that's a heavy promise, right? God who appoints the sun to shine by day and decrees the moon and the stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. And Lord Almighty, is he does all these fantastic things that are very stable. But then he says, only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will Israel ever cease 
being a nation before me. That's a heavy promise. I mean, if, if you're Israel and you got that promise from God, then you know that God is saying you have a place in the future. There's nothing that's going to ever replace the nation of Israel. So then he continues. It's not over. This is what the Lord says in verse 37. Only if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below searched out, will I reject the descendants of Israel because of all they have done, declares the Lord. Now, imagine that if you can measure the heavens above I, I can't even get into it. we don't have time to get into it how vast the universe is you can't measure you can't even count the stars that are there you can't even count the sand on the seashore there's much more that should be said but Israel certainly uh, I'm just trying to help you understand why they had such confidence and thought that God cannot change direction from Israel. So we're, we're just, and that's why I'm bringing this particular promise in Jeremiah so that you know the confidence that Israel had. In fact, their confidence even turned into arrogance regarding this. Point number two, theirs are the patriarchs and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah. First point is the patriarchs. When we say patriarchs, we are referring to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we're not just talking about like Noah and Methuselah and uh, Seth and all. They're not considered patriarchs, even though they are certainly believers of old. But the patriarchs, because remember, what is our subject here? It's Israel. Uh, we already spent enough time there. So the patriarchs here are those who are uh, the fathers of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, to each of the patriarchs, God reinstated the promises that he gave to um, Abraham. So when you read Romans 11, 28 and 29, that's what you find. Romans 11, even, you might say, well, God, a lot of people say, well, the church now is here. We don't have to worry about Israel no more. Any, any promises that were given to uh, Israel are now fulfilled in the church. Well, that's not how Paul saw it. Romans eleven twenty eight said, as far as the gospel is concerned, they, he's talking about Israel, unbelieving Israel, are enemies for your sake. Well, they put Christ on the cross and they persecuted all the disciples after him. I would agree. But as far as the election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. So in Paul's mind, God still has some things to fulfill to Israel. Even though we're sitting here in the church age. He says God's calls, his gifts, and his call are irrevocable. He will not go back on his word. So when we think about did God's word fail, as we're going to get to in verse 6, 
can we say who who's saying that God's word failed? God is Paul is re, restating that look, God is true to his word. Even though they will kill you, right? Just like Jesus said in we're studying on Sunday, those who uh they will kill you and persecute you, and they will think they're doing God's service. But really, he's saying here, they're loved on account of the patriarchs. God made promises, and he reiterated those promises through Isaac. He made them in Abraham. He reiterated them through Isaac and through Jacob. Same promises until we got Israel, which is Jacob. God changed the name of Jacob to Israel, and Israel had the sons. That's how we got Israel. So he still, in in the church age, thinks that these people, because of those promises, God still has a work to do in Israel. There's no doubt about it. So uh, that's the first point. To note, point B, so then God's promises don't begin and end with Israel. They they depend on the promises about Israel made to the patriarchs. So this is replacement theology. We just want to make sure you know that that's not true. Israel still has a future. Point C, Human ancestry of the Messiah. So it says, theirs, is the, theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah. Human ancestry. Christ was the son of David. And that's Romans 1, 3 and 4. Literally, it says that. Well, David is from the tribe of Judah. And Judah was one of the sons of Jacob. So Christ came through the line, and there are specific promises about the son of David, how uh, his future son would rule on David's throne. That's a unified Israel. So not Judah and Israel, but a unified Israel. So Christ would rule on the throne, and that's the Davidic covenant which is theologically termed so christ and then point d is the genealogies demonstrate this if you go back and look at matthew 1 1 through 17 or luke 3 23 through 38 you can read about how all the way back not only through david but through all the way back to adam how jesus came as the seed of the woman this is the record that we have in Scripture that uh, Jesus is authentic. He is the one. He's the one that we should, uh, who, who has all the proper credentials uh, as the Messiah. He's not just somebody popping up saying, hey, by the way, I'm the Messiah. No, he, this, this man, Jesus Christ, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive their full rights as sons, the adoption. This is the one. So it's important. We're not going to go through and read all that. Um, if you want to, I'm going to say for you, take your time to read it. 
Point number three, who is God overall forever praised? Amen. Just three short points and we're going to close. So this is one of the strongest declarations of who Jesus is. He is God. And also, he is man. We have it right here in the scripture. Human ancestry of Christ. Right? And yet, verse 3, I mean, this, right in the same verse, it says, who is God? So here you have a declaration of the God-man. The uniqueness of the person of Jesus Christ. He's not only God, but he is also man. And I like how Paul has, has, even though we don't, he didn't have the cute way we say it, he is the God-man, you know, uh, 100% deity, 100% humanity, and one person forever. He, Paul didn't have all that, but here you have it, right here. He's the God-man. He is, who is God overall, forever praised. Amen, he says. And they, and I love, I don't even have to give a scripture for it. You have the scripture right in front of you that speaks to. I could give other ones. Though Philippians chapter 2, there's a good one who is, where he says he's God. And then, but he, he became a servant, a man, and humbled himself, became obedient unto death. You, God can't die. But man can. Christ, the man died. But Christ as God could never die. Anyway, point B, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Now, when we say under Christ, he's talking, and this is Ephesians 1, 10b, right? This is uh, this is a quote from Ephesians 1.10, the second half of that verse, where it talks about the mystery and so forth, but to bring to unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Now, under Christ, in his hypostatic union. This is yet future. And we don't, this, is, this didn't happen yet. This is yet future. And But notice what the aim here is that... God is over everything. Christ, as God, is the creator. But now that he's the God-man, everything in heaven and on earth, under the God-man, Christ Jesus. That's what Ephesians uh, says. That's the goal. That's what, that's what God is accomplishing. When it says he raised him far above all principality and power and height, well, God is already at that place. But now, the hypostatic union, the person of Christ, what both natures, not only he already had that in his deity, but in his humanity now, his glorified humanity, he is also raised to that point. Right? Because it says everything will be under him. But guess who else is there? We don't want to have to get into the detail because we don't have time to talk about us, right? how we are seated with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We don't have time to talk about all that right now. Point C, forever praised, amen. So the apostle is excited and he gives, this is like a doxology. He's, whenever he gets really excited and overwhelmed with the thinking of what he has covered and, and how it all fits together, he 
he rises to speak a doxology. I'm going to quote some of these in closing. Jude 24 and 25. Jude 1, 24, 25 says to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and great joy. To the only, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. And then there's Romans 11. I'm skipping around a little bit. Romans 11, which you probably will get to one of these days. Romans 11, 30, uh, where is it? 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And then closing 1 Timothy, uh, well, there are 16, Romans 16 and 27, since we're in Romans. 16, 27 says, To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. And then 1 Timothy 1, 17. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. We're going to close with those words. Thank you, Father, for sending us Jesus Christ. Thank you for the plan that revolves and is executed upon his shoulders. We thank you for his service, his sacrifice the love that he had for the plan and for you, Father, and to, that he wanted to fulfill this plan. We pray that we will have such love, that the Holy Spirit will shed it abroad in our hearts, that we will come to know you better, that we will come to the full knowledge of the truth. We thank you for the words of adoration and extolling uh, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the position that he has. We thank you for choosing us to be in him before the creation of the world. Uh, Father, this, we're just so overwhelmed and thank, thankful for uh, all that has been done for us in grace. All of this we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Amen.